Good morning, family. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Yeah, the, the response I got, um, I'm glad we're going to talk about this. <laughs> Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is a reminder of so many wonderful, incredible things that God has done for us. It's, it's a reminder that, um, that what you think God is going to do isn't, it, that what he actually does is bigger. It's a reminder that, that as you kind of look to the future and, uh, and wonder if God's in charge, um, it's proof that he is. It's, it's a reminder that the power of the Holy Spirit is with us, and because of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have power. We have power that, uh, that enables us to be a witness for the Lord, to, uh, a power to be able to be a testimony for Jesus. It reminds us of the supernatural power of God that is available on an ongoing basis to our life. It's also a reminder that we have a, a relationship with God that is the most intimate of relationship, that, that God, in fact, calls us his bride because the relationship that God not only desires but has made available to us is, uh, is that intimate relationship with God. These are not things that are um, just kind of uh, pulled out of the top of my head. They're actual things that are revealed when you understand where Pentecost comes from. Because when we think about Pentecost, oftentimes people will think about uh, Pentecost Sunday as a Christian um, you know, celebration. It's a Christian uh, event, a Christian day. But it's much broader than that. Actually, the day of Pentecost didn't start when the church was born. It actually started 1,500 years earlier. And, um, and it was something that God had directed and ordained. I, and, but when we came to the day of Pentecost, some amazing things happened. In fact, when Jesus had um, actually been with the disciples for 40 days, which is a significant amount of days that Jesus was with the disciples after he rose from the dead, he told them to wait and, uh, and to wait in Jerusalem and um, they would receive power from the whole, you know, because the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And he said uh, that they would be witnesses to him in Judea, Samaria, and, uh, and to the ends of the earth. And uh, the day of Pentecost came, and they were surprised. I, I don't think they were surprised that something was not going to, ha was going to happen. In fact, I, I think they were absolutely um, aware of and contending for the Holy Spirit, because Jesus has said that would happen. And I do believe that they might have thought that it was going to happen on the day that it happened, on Pentecost. They might have. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But, but when it happened, it was much more than they expected. And uh, the scripture says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Actually, the word fully there can also be translated when the day of Pentecost had been fulfilled. This, when the scripture says that it had fully come or it is fulfilled, it is telling us that this is the culmination of something. It's 
that, that this is not necessarily the beginning, though we find a beginning here, but it is actually the fulfillment of something that uh, should have and been anticipated. And, and he says, and they were all, all with one accord in one place. They're gathered together, and that's what you're supposed to do on Pentecost. We should be all gathered together. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And when that happened, um, it would have brought them to a reminder that Pentecost, every time Pentecost came around every year, they would have been reminded of. It says, there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the question is, why tongues? That, that's a question. I have a lot of questions in this. But a question is, why tongues? Why did, they, why did God, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, why was it tongues that he used? There's a lot of things that could have happened, right? They could have prophesied. They could have, they could have had, um, you know, they could have had uh, deep prayer times. They could have had deeper worship time. They could have had miracles happen of different kinds. There, there's a lot of things that could have happened, and I think God's imagination could be, uh, you know, limitless on that. But he chose tongues. And he chose uh, them for them to speak a language that they did not know and that the hearers would hear that language in their own language because gathered there in Jerusalem were people celebrating Pentecost. Pentecost was already being celebrated when this happened. And while they're celebrating, millions are there in and they're fr from all over the world different places around the world. There was uh, considered 70 languages at that time. Um, and uh, that was actually what they perceived. And, they, and, and uh, it would have believed that all of those languages were there when the disciples started speaking in tongues and went out and the people heard them. That was a part of the miracle as well. They heard them in their own language. And when they heard them in their own language, they began to glorify God. Now, there were those who did not hear them in their own language. But when Peter stood up and preached, he, he preached in Hebrew or Aramaic. He preached in a language. And they all understood the language. So I wanted, what, what I'm saying is, why tongues when... Preaching in Hebrew would have been sufficient. Everybody there already knew Hebrew. They already knew Aramaic, you know, what, what he was speaking. They, they, they listened to him when he preached and they responded. They knew, knew the language, but it wasn't their home language. It wasn't, for many of them, their first language. But what God was doing was saying that this is to go out to all languages. This is to go to every people in every nation around the world. This work that God is doing now is a complete and utterly different work than has ever happened before. And th this day speaks of that. So why did God choose the day of Pentecost to pour out his spirit? Well, it takes us back 
to the first Pentecost because this day was not the first Pentecost. This was the fulfillment of Pentecost. Actually, the first Pentecost was when the children of Israel had crossed through the Red Sea and gone to Sinai. And there was a 50-day period from the time that they had uh, they, they had um, celebrated Passover when they had when God had protected them as they put the blood of the the lamb on the doorpost, and then they crossed over and finally got to Sinai, to Mount Sinai, and and uh, and when they got to Mount Sinai, they they stayed there, and Moses went up to the mountain for forty days. He came down. If you remember the story, he had the covenant. Of God, he had the Ten Commandments in his hands, and the people had gone into their their idolatry again, and into their sin, and he got furious and broke it. Remember, and there was a oh, there was there was pain in that day. There was there was in fact three thousand people died in that day. That day, which is kind of interesting, because on the day of Pentecost, three thousand people got saved. Something happened on the day of Pentecost that the disciples were celebrating that was a little bit different than what happened on the day, on the first Pentecost. Well, the first Pentecost, it wasn't actually that day itself. It was in the time frame that that happened. But on the day itself is when Moses went back up. He had conferred with God but before he went back up, he was down in the valley, and there was God. Something happened at the top of the mountain while he was down with the people. In fact, the, the scripture says that God spoke, and the people heard. They heard the voice, and they saw the fire on the top of the mountain, and, and they heard the trumpets, and they were scared. And they said, Moses... You talk to God. We'll, 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 we'll back up. You talk to God. And, uh, and then Moses, of course, when he went up and he got the, 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 the commandments and he brought them down, and then there was the covenant was made. What he did, God said, will, will you obey me? Will you Make me your Lord. I have rescued you already, but now will you make me your Lord? Will you obey me? And it's interesting that he asks them that before he actually tells them what they're to obey. Before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he asks them the question, will you be my people? And I will be your God. And how you're going to be my people is you're going to I am going to be your Lord, and you're going to do what I ask you to do. And their response was yes. It was yes before the what. Because that's the way that people who understand and, and know what it means to be a servant or slave unto God, and that God is Lord, that you say yes before you ever even know what God is going to tell you what to do. You determine in your heart ahead of time, God, whatever you say, I'm yours. And God, in fact, marries himself to Israel. He becomes his hus their husband um, in the sense that that's how, he that's how he interacts, he relates with them. In fact, through that, when they would go into idolatry, he would call it adultery. 
that they were whoring after other gods rather than him. And at one point, he divorces them because they live in this constant state of sin. He even wrote, had a, an, an entire book about that in Hosea and, uh, and how God's heart was so much toward his bride, Israel, the people of God, that in fact he would, um, he would buy the, the, the adulterous um, prostitute back and ever do everything he could to, to have them come back to him, and yet they continued in their whoring and their, their evil ways, and eventually God, God would divorce himself from them, and they would be scattered, and there would be tremendous uh, distance from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But something happened that was very significant on the day of Pentecost, and and the, the, the challenge, the, the, the Jewish people were asked, in fact, let me, let me go back here. After God, they were all settled and God gave them, um, he gave them what we call the seven feasts. In fact, um, let's go ahead and show the first uh, the, the first, uh, there we go. Uh, th- these, these are the seven feasts, and we've talked about these before. Uh, but when, let me, someone said it this way. If you just read the New Testament, you read in black and white. But if you put it with the Old Testament, you're in living color. There are things that you just don't see if you, you know, you miss this. And, and so the, the covenant of God, after God had made that covenant with them, he instituted seven we call feasts. But what they really were is celebrations and, and even more than that. Um, the, in fact, in uh, Leviticus 23, this is where these feasts are listed, Leviticus 23. In verse 1 it says, Uh, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord, which you have proclaimed to be holy convocations, uh, these are my feasts. Now, the word um, for feast here is the the word moed or moedim, and it actually means appointed appointed, an appointed time, that God had given them appointed times to meet with him and to gather for, for unto him. And he had given these appointed times. And then it says, and you shall proclaim them to be holy. That's dedicated only. That's what it means to be holy. It's to be dedicated only to God. Convo- convocations is an interesting word. Because it actually means rehearsals. So what God was giving them, and, and by the way, they, they understood it only in one way. We are able to see it in a broader spec. See, each of those seven feasts, you can put them up there, each of the seven feasts were holy rehearsals of 
not only a rehearsal of something God has done, okay, but a rehearsal of, in fact, what God was going to do. It's interesting, like the, the Feast of Pentecost, there wasn't really much to be done. They, they were to gather and uh, they were to celebrate a, um, a, an, an in-gathering. They're to, to celebrate a, um, a harvest. It was a wheat harvest. But there wasn't really much to be done. And yet, it was one of three feasts that God required every male, every male that was able to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. I mean, that's a big deal. You have, there's a lot of travel involved. There's, there's, there's resources that have to be you know, taken with you if you're going to do that kind of travel. Uh, you have to leave your farm or whatever it is to come. I mean, there's a lot involved. And it would oftentimes mean the whole family would come together and sometimes just the man because they, they didn't have what it, you know, the resource or there are other things going on. But at least every year, there were three times a year. The, the first one was Passover. And, um, and the, then the second one was this, this uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost or Shavuot. It, it was called in, in, the, in the old, uh, in, the, in the Hebrews called it. In the, and then the last one would be Tabernacles. There were three feasts. Each of them were the time of harvest. The, the, the first one, Passover, was the time of the, of the barley harvest. And, and I'm going to just, just for some of you who just love this stuff, and for those of you just, it's too much, relax. But for those who just love this stuff, um, there's an interesting way in which God calculated how this was all to happen, time-wise. And, and because some changes were made, we miss some significant days. For instance, each of these have their specific time frame. In fact, go to the next uh, slide on this. And, uh, and what you have here is you'll see the Feast of Passover over there. You'll see the, the, the first three feasts, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and first fruits, are in the month that is called Nisan. According to our calendar, it's between April... In March and April, it usually falls. It's different. It changes. Uh, the Jewish calendar is 11, about 11 days shorter than our calendar because it uses the lunar calendar. And they, they have a different system of leap years where they jump forward to keep it kind of constantly balanced. But God gave them the lunar calendar because these these feast days, the appointed times, were really important on how they landed in relationship to um, the moon and the and 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 the circle uh, uh, and the the, the full um, um, the 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 pathway of the moon. The Pentecost, of course, is fifty days later. That's that's called it's called the feast of weeks. They were to count from the day after. The, the first Sabbath, 50 days, and then you would come to Pentecost. That's where we are today. And then, then those were the spring feasts. And then every year they would have the fall 
feasts. And they would start in what would be our September. And it would start on the month of Tishri. It would be the very first day. And uh, it is, the month of Tishri is uh, where the Feast of Trumpets is, or Rosh Hashanah. And it's when the first glimpse of the slice of the moon starts. The first day of the month starts on that day. And no one knows exactly. In fact, people would, we, we could calculate it, on, but that wasn't the way it was done. God gave them, in fact, a way of determining the time frames uh, based upon what was going on around the harvest and the moon and so forth. So that, that feast, uh, Feast of Trumpets, is a feast that actually has been described as the feast that uh, no one knows the day or the hour because the, they were to, the, there would be four priests go out and they would go on the mountaintops and they would look up and see if they could find that sliver. And if no one found the sliver, then it was pushed back a day. And so no one actually knows, knew when it was starting. But once they saw it, they'd come back to the high priest and they would declare that that day was um, the start of that month, Tishri. And that, that would be the Feast of Trumpets would begin then. And then you had 10 days later, you had the Day of Atonement, and then five more days after that on the 15th, you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, each of these feasts were rehearsals about Jesus. And when they did it, they didn't know it, but they were rehearsing something for 15 1,500 years. Now, 3,500 years. I mean, just, they, uh, you know, they've been rehearsing. They still rehearse this. Now, Passover was about the lamb sacrifice, the blood covering for the sins of the people so that the, the death would not come to their home. And Jesus died on Passover. Isn't that cool? I, mean, I, I say that, I've said that a hundred times, but it's still cool to me. How God, God, God knew how that was going to happen way in advance. And then the, the next feast starts actually the day after, that's unleavened bread. And what they do for seven days then, they, on the feast of Passover, you're not to have any leaven. But on the feast of unleavened bread, they actually look for anything of leaven in the house. So if there's bread obviously with leaven in it, they were to wrap it in a linen cloth and they were to take it outside the camp and they were to bury it. What does that sound like? It sounds like the, the, the burial, the death burial of Jesus. And what was buried? Well, unleavened bread, the leaven represented sin. And so it was buried and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what, what, what happened in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was buried. He's in the tomb. And then, on the day after the Sabbath, that Saturday, the day after was the Feast of first fruits. That's when that happened. So it was all based upon when Passover landed and then when... Um, it's the Sabbath was, and then the Feast of Firstfruits. Well, if Jesus, when Jesus died, he was in the grave until, what is the day after the Sabbath? What day is that? Sunday. He rose on Firstfruits. 
See? So he's fulfilling all of that. That's why I said to you, when they went in to wait on the Lord, you think they might have thought, listen, Jesus died on Passover. He was buried in unleavened bread. He rose on first fruits. Here's the next feast. Do you think maybe something might happen on that feast? Do you think they might have been sitting there praying and, and calling upon God, but anticipating maybe something would happen, and it did. It happened. Now, I said that the feast of, of Passover is the barley harvest, and it doesn't last very long. But they celebrated, and the feast of first fruits, when Jesus fulfilled that, that, what they do on that feast is they would bring in the barley harvest, the first part of the barley harvest. The harvest would continue, but the very first you know, fruits of the barley harvest, they'd bring it in, they'd wave it before the Lord, they'd make sacrifice with the barley harvest in anticipation of God blessing. And they would bring it before God and thank God and anticipate blessings going to come as a, a, throughout because there's a, th- this was the feast of first fruits. But it's also interesting that, that the Feast of Pentecost was also considered a first fruit feast. Now, it's not called first fruit, but it's a first fruit feast. What fruit is that? It's the wheat harvest. Remember when Jesus gave a parable? There was a parable of how a sower goes out and he sows seed into the field. And there's wheat. But... Also, there were terrors, there were, there were weeds sown in the field also, and his, and his servants come and say, Lord, should we rip out the weeds? Someone, he says, your enemy, who is it that put those weeds there? The enemy. He says, your enemy has put those weeds in there. Lord, should we rip them out? And he says, no, don't let them grow. And at the harvest time, then the, the reapers will, will separate the wheat from the weeds, from the tares, and throw the tares into the fire. What was the wheat? What did that represent? He says, at the end of time, the, the, the harvesters will do that. What is the wheat? Turn to your neighbor and says, you're wheat. Yeah, you're the wheat. You're the wheat. See, this is a harvest. This is the beginning. See, Pentecost is the beginning of harvest. Now, now you're thinking, okay, well, how did Jesus fulfill the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the, and the tabernacle feast? How did he f- fulfill those? And the answer is, he hasn't yet. You see, there's a gap from the spring feast and the fall feast. I want you to notice one an interesting thing because you're, you're getting a lot on this. When Jesus fulfilled the feast, he didn't fulfill them over several years. He fulfilled them in one season. Okay? So he, he did it all in one season. It wasn't over seven years or three years or anything like that. One season. I'm suggesting to you it makes sense that it'll probably fulfill the last three feasts in one season too. 
probably. And the Feast of Trumpets, I would say 12, 15 years ago, um, what I'm going to say was very rarely even mentioned. Now it's starting to become more alert to the fact that there are many who say and believe that the Lord will return on the Feast of Trumpets. Remember, that is the feast that no one knows the day or the hour. That that, that would happen then. Judgment would happen on the Day of Atonement because that's actually what that day is about. And then Tabernacles is where we dwell with God and there's an eight-day feast, that is, where they gather together they live in booths, and they're all gathered around the throne of God, which represents our eternity. You understand, Jesus, I believe, is still going to fill those. Understanding this helps us in our perception of what God is doing. I said I'm going to give you one of those, one of those little nuggets for those of you who care. <laughs> the timing of these, I said, the, uh, about... Um, 2,300 years ago? About, no, no, I'm sorry. About um, 1,300 years ago. Um, Israel made a change in how they would do this. Because the, the, the way they, they would do this, they, they, they would figure out, they, they're always, they would start, if, if they didn't give a, have a, um, a, a the, adjust the calendar, like we do, have a leap year. We have a leap year for us, but ours is pretty close. It's only one day out of four, four years. Theirs was 11 days a year off. So they had to adjust it more often, or bigger, I should say. So the adjustment is, was that God gave them was, if you come to to the, the month of Nisan, at the end of the month of Adar, you see that month, that's the last month of the year. If you come there and the barley harvest isn't ready to be harvested, well, you know what's happened to the calendar. You know that they've gotten earlier in the year and the harvest isn't ready. Then they were to add a month on, on Adar's, Adar Bet is what it was called. And they would actually add a month. That meant this, that that Passover would start 30 days later, okay? And you're saying, so what? They made, they made this change, you know, what, 1,300 years ago where they decided, let's just, every three years, we'll add a month. And they, do, they have a 19-year cycle in which they do that. And, uh, and so they just, they, that's what they do. They, they just do, it's automatic. It has nothing to do with the barley harvest, but... But if God set it up that way, do you think he might have anticipated something down the road that if they did it that way, they would see his mohadim, his appointed times in correlation at a proper time? And if they didn't do it the way he said, it might be off at times? For instance, Israel, Israel became a nation in May of 1948, amazing day. But it was not significant in any other time. And you would think, well, did God have it like planned for that day? Absolutely he did. 
And if Israel would have aligned their calendar with the way God had said by the barley harvest, instead of the automatic way they did it, they would have found out that, that, the, that Passover, that, that the day Israel became a nation, would have been Passover. There would have been, they would have been celebrating Passover on the day that Israel became a nation. See, God has all these things. Now, I believe in the last days, they're going to get back. When they set up the, the, the temple and all, they're going to get back to God's way. But knowing that, some of you who are prophecy buffs will probably do some different calculations, and you'll find the, the prophecy of Daniel where he, ca- he prophesies about 1,290 days instead of 1,260 as that time frame. You'll go, oh, that must have been the leap year day. And your calculations become aware. Okay, that's, that's for a segment of you that, <laughs> that care. This day, though, this is an amazing day, folks. Because the birth, the birth it was a, not only the birth of the church... But it was the birth of a covenant that God had made. And um, on that first covenant that was made on the first feast, of, uh, on, the, on the first Pentecost, that covenant, that was the first covenant that he had made. He brought down the, the law and they made a covenant with them. But something happened on that day that has made this day... Pentecost Sunday, although it is celebrated in Jewish homes, it's not a big deal. It has, it's, it's not as big as the other Jewish feasts. And I believe this is the reason why it's not as big. Because when God gave it, it was huge. It was one of three days that they were to come to Israel. There, there were other feasts, they, they weren't required. But on Pentecost, you had to be in Israel if you were able. You, you had to be there as a male you know, leader, especially of your home. You had to be in Jerusalem. And so it was a big deal. But it's been downplayed. And this is why I believe it's downplayed. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18, um, God, God prophesied something. And, uh, and this is what he said. In verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. Now, God is speaking this to Moses. Moses has given them a covenant. But he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my word in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my word, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But, if, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So this is, he, 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 he prophesies about a prophet who's going to come. And then Jeremiah gives us even more clarity of that. In verse 31 of chapter 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will make a... Everybody say, 
new covenant. I will make a new covenant. He says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I, had, I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says God. I will put my law in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. This is in this new covenant. I want you to just get ready to say hallelujah. For they all shall know me. They all shall know me. This is going to be different. This is a new covenant. That anyone who has this covenant, they will all know me. See, that's when we say that, listen, this is a relationship with God. This is not just a set of do's and don'ts. This isn't just a law. This isn't just, uh, you know, something that we, um, you know, we have a list of, of, uh, of commandments. This is about a relationship with God. He says, in this new covenant, that I'm making, everyone's going to know me. See, from the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities. That's a good place to go. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I will forget, forgive their iniquities and their sin. I will remember them no more. The writer of Hebrews said, if that first covenant had been faultless, then there would be no place where we have sought the second. They also said in that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. He says, see, we have a new covenant. That day was a fulfillment of God's promise through Jeremiah that a new covenant would come and everyone would know him. And he and that's why Jesus, when he took the cup at communion, and we're about to do that in a few minutes, that when he took that cup at communion, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. There's a new covenant. I will place my law in your heart. What, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit who has come in. The Holy Spirit brings something changes us in, in our life with Christ. Do you, the Bible says that when you're born again, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The, the power to live out life that Jesus said would come by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself would say to, to each and every one of us as we walk out this life, he says, you have power to be my witness. You have power. You have power to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You have power. You have power. The, the manifest po presence and power of God is available to you, every single one of us, because of what God did and that new covenant that he made with us that is tied to our relationship with him. Because even though as we talk about it, it's not like God is pouring in, you know, we're not plugging into the electric circuit. Now we got power. That power comes through the relationship that we have with Jesus. His spirit, his presence in us, helping us walk through this life. We need 
We need him every day. We need to be filled every day. Every day we need more of Jesus in our life. And we need more of him. We need the Holy Spirit to help us each and every day. But it's not just a need. It's a, it's a joyful benefit in our life. It's, it's, a, it's, it's something that... Could you imagine being there the day it happened? I want you to just kind of put yourself in that place. You're, you're there praying with them, and all of a sudden this rushing wind and tongues of fire land upon you, and you start speaking in a language that you never even knew. And it just happens. And it's powerful. And possibly you're staggering from the presence of God. Enough so that the people who are watching and don't know what's going on, they go, they're drunk. They're drunk. Because that's the best they could see. That, that's the best that they could connect with. See, sat Satan's counterfeit is, drunk, is drugs and alcohol. It's being filled with drugs and alcohol. It's being, it's, it's being led by drugs and alcohol. And it's the best he's got. And because uh, he can't give you what the Holy Spirit is able to give you. So that's, that's why the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's more. Be filled with, you can live being filled with the Spirit without, and, and only benefits come from, only good things come out of being filled with the Spirit. Living your life filled with the Spirit of God. You and I need that more and more and more and more. And I believe that if we have the Spirit of God in us, if we allow the Spirit of God to work through us, that there is an unlimited... Listen, they could not have seen. They didn't know. But God had every moment well planned in advance. He knew everything that's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And he does that for you and me too. And he orchestrates our life when we're submitted to him in such a way that every little detail is orchestrated by God in how we would interact and, and interplay with individuals and people and when we would need the power of God to help us in our life. Can I... Say, thank you, Lord, for Pentecost. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Pentecost. Thank you for this day. It's such an important, valuable day that God has given us. To remember, rehearse. We're rehearsing. There's still some rehearsal to do. There's some trumpets going to sound. There's, a, there's some judgment that's going to come to... There's, there's going to be rewards given out. There's going to be the presence of God, and we're going to tabernacle with him. He's going to tabernacle with us forever and ever. This is all coming down the road. We're ready to see. I believe the fall feasts are going to be fulfilled soon. And we keep our eyes open. Amen? We keep our eyes open. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you have not given your life to Jesus, I don't care if you've been coming to church. Church does not make you a Christian any more than 
parking in a garage makes you a car. <coughs> you, need, you need the Lord. And he's the one who transformed you. You need his spirit inside of you. And the way that you get his spirit inside of you is that you invite Jesus into your life. You ask Jesus. And, he, and, and listen, it's a, it's, it's a triple deal in that sense. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come in you and fill you. If you've accepted Christ, you need a re- renewal. You re- need a refilling. You need, you, need the, the, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to invite, you need to ask the Father, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Today's a good day to do that. Father, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just do that right now. We need you, God. We praise you. We glorify you. Master worship team, if they would come. Um, we, we, we celebrate Passover, if you would, on a monthly basis, kind of, because on Passover was the that the day that was the day that Jesus it was the Passover supper I should say was when Jesus ate with his disciples he ate the Passover supper and he then told them do this in remembrance of me and of course that's what we do when we celebrate communion the Lord's the Lord's supper so we're going to do that I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready and uh, and we're going to do something that happened on Pentecost during that Passover um, supper we share together that unleavened bread. So um, I'm going to ask the ushers if they would hand out the communion cups and and we're going to take them together and uh, and if you would like to take them with us, you're welcome to. Okay. Jesus. 
nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. It was a it was a day of proclamation. In fact, it is and since then has always cons- been considered not only, you know, um, a moedim, a appointed time, but it's a day of proclamation. They because what they did is they had to proclaim that the Lord he is God. That, that's what they, they proclaim the Lord, he is God. And on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples, when it was fulfilled, see, the Pente- day of Pentecost was fulfilled, the disciples stood and they declared, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And I, w- I want to ask you that, I'm going to ask you to do something further than maybe some, some of you. Some, some of you, this is easy as can be. But I can tell when Carol was trying to get us to lift our voices, some of us were a little timid. You know, I think we'll walk into heaven and, uh, and we'll look around and go, wow. And others of you are going, wow! You know? <laughs> but there's a, there's a place for Wow! There's a place for that in everyone's life, even if you're kind of a wow kind of person. And and that is when we make declaration. We make a, you know, we we, we, we uh, pronounce. And this is one of those times. And I, I want you before, you, before I tell you what to do, I just want you to think how, what is the best way you describe your Savior. How, how, what's the best way? For some of you right now, you describe him as healer and, and uh, deliverer. You, you describe him as a friend, but you describe him as the, the one who is your counselor and he's your strong tower and he's your help. Maybe you describe him in all those ways. But he is Jesus. And so what I want you to do, the Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Before you partake of the representation of the body of Jesus Christ, I want you to say, Jesus, my healer, Jesus, my Savior, whatever it is you want or you're declaring Jesus to be, okay? And it should be a loud roar, and Jesus will hear each one of us. So we'll do that. Can we do that on three? Okay. I don't think the disciples said counted to three, but let's, let's do it that way. Okay. One, two, 
three. Jesus, my Lord, Jesus, my Savior, my healer, my deliverer, my hope, my strong tower, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. He took the cup. This is the, he said, this is the cup. Of, this represents his blood. This, this is the, 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 this cup, this, this juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from every, every, every single one, every single every one ever committed every single sin that you've committed everyone this is the this represents the blood that is already poured upon you it's already cleansing you you're not getting cleansed now you've already been cleansed if you need to confess something confess it before the lord but the blood of jesus christ is cleansing you from all of your sin we receive, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Before the worship team leads us back into just a moment of worship, I want to make, um, I want to mention, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe you've never had what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit in your life, I want to encourage you to go to the, the prayer room. There'll be people there to pray with you about that. If you just want a refill and you go, you know what, I just want someone to pray for me. I just feel like I need someone to pray for me to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Before you leave, get into the prayer room. People need to lay hands on you and pray for you. Do that. Don't, you know, if the Lord's speaking that to your heart, respond to it. So... Let's all just lift our voices to the Lord in praise and worship. Thank you, Jesus. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. Praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the Lord. i 